Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode number 124 of the Bible Reading Podcast. Today's big Bible question, does Hebrews 6 teach that Christians can lose their salvation? And this is part two of our series on the perseverance of the saints. Hello, friends, and a happy May to you. Today's Bible readings includes Numbers chapter 8, which is quite a bit shorter than chapter 7, also Psalms 44, Song of Songs 6, and Hebrews chapter 6. Today is part 2 of our continuing discussion on the perseverance of the saints, and our big question is, as we said earlier, does Hebrews 6 indicate that a person who is saved can become unsaved? Here's the pertinent section. This is Hebrews 6, 4 through 8. For it is impossible to renew to repentance those who were once enlightened, who tasted the heavenly gift, who shared in the Holy Spirit, who tasted God's good word and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away. This is because, to their own harm, they are re-crucifying, that's re-crucifying, the Son of God and holding Him up to contempt. For the ground that drinks the rain that often falls on it and that produces vegetation useful to those for whom it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it produces thorns and thistles, it is worthless and about to be cursed, and at the end, it will be burned. Now, that's a pretty sobering passage, and it's not the only one in Hebrews. There are several, as we've already discussed. In fact, it's one of the many warning passages in the Bible where people are warned to not fall away from God. So consider some of these others, and this is not a full list. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-2, Paul writes, Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. How about Colossians 1, 21 and 23? Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body, through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusations, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Or Hebrews 3.12, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Or 2 Timothy 2.11-12, The saying is trustworthy. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Finally, James five nineteen through 20 My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now, these are all sobering passages, right? Hebrews 6 as a whole is really just kind of cold water to the face sobering. So let's go read it, and then we'll come back and talk about our big Bible question. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teaching about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, faith in God, teaching about ritual washings, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And we will do this, if God permits, For it's impossible to renew to repentance those who were once enlightened, who tasted the heavenly gift, who shared in the Holy Spirit, who tasted God's good word and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away. This is because, to their own harm, they are re-crucifying the Son of God and holding him up to contempt. For the ground that drinks the rain that often falls on it and produces vegetation 
useful to those for whom it's cultivated receives a blessing from God, but if it produces thorns and thistles, it is worthless and about to be cursed, and at the end it will be burned. Even though we are speaking this way, dearly loved friends, in your case, we are confident of things that are better and that pertain to salvation. For God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you demonstrated for his name by serving the saints and by continuing to serve them. Now we desire each of you to demonstrate the same diligence for the full assurance of your hope until the end, so that you won't become lazy, but will be imitators of those who inherit the promises through faith and perseverance. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to swear by, he swore by himself. I will indeed bless you, and I will greatly multiply you. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and for them a confirming oath ends every dispute. Because God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose even more clearly to the heirs of his promise, he guaranteed with it with an oath, so that through two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner because he has become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So again, you know, we see in here a very strong warning to an, a warning about falling away, an encouragement to persevere in Hebrews 6. And may nothing I say today take away from that warning in the least. And so our main question is, does Hebrews 6 somehow demonstrate that a saved person can become unsaved, losing their salvation? I believe the answer to that question is a firm no, but I do believe that Hebrews 6 demonstrates that one who appears in every way to be a believer might indeed lose that appearance. I know that is as clear as mud at this point, but I believe we can explain things a little better as we go forward. Can somebody saved by Jesus somehow or some way become unsaved? I believe the answer to that question is a firm and clear no, and it's demonstrated all throughout the New Testament in passages like John 10, 27 through 29. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. John 5, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Romans eight thirty eight through 39 For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. John six thirty seven All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Philippians 1, 6. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Ephesians 1, 13. In him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. John 6, 40. 
For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Romans 8, 28-31. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Finally, Hebrews 7 verse 5. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost. Those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So, how do we reconcile all of these passages with the first passages we read, the warning passages? And I actually believe the answer is kind of hinted at, sort of a clue is found in Hebrews 6, 7, and 8, where it says, The ground that drinks the rain that often falls on it and produces vegetation useful to those Uh, for whom it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it produces thorns and thistles, it's worthless and about to be cursed. Key phrase there is thorns and thistles. And that phrase should remind you and I of the parable of the sower that we referred to in episode one of our series in the Perseverance of the Saints, because Jesus there talks about thorns and thistles very prominently when he's talking about how people receive the word of God. And I think the writer of Hebrews is referencing back to that teachings of Jesus. So let's read part of it again, just for our, uh, to refresh our memory. Mark 4, 13 through 20. Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand all of the parables? The sower sows the word. Some people are like the words sown on the path. When they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the words sown in them. Others are like seeds sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy, but they have no root. They are short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, they immediately fall away. Others are like seed sown among thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, but the worries of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth, And the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And those like seeds sown on good ground hear the word, welcome it, and produce fruit. 30, 60, and 100 times what is sown. So we see here four different types of soil, really four different types of people who the seed of the gospel is delivered to. Person number one, or soil number one, hears the word of God but immediately loses, forgets, ignores it, or whatever, according to Jesus. Now, these people are not saved at all, and we know this because they the word is immediately taken from them. Now, person number two, or soil number two, is like rocky ground. They hear the word of God, and they respond with joy, but it's a shallow joy without root. It's a surface response that does not go into the soul and the mind, and the decisions, and the life. It's not a following. It's a one-time, one-moment emotional decision. Have you ever had a friend eagerly make a commitment to you to do something and then blissfully blow it off like they never made the commitment at all? 
this is what's going on here. This is a person who hears the word, seems to, on the surface, believe it and accept it, but they do it in the most shallow way. Because their acceptance is shallow, any sort of trouble or distress or problems or whatever that comes along, whether those things come along immediately or after a long while down the road, they fall away. The the shallow person will fall away at any sign of trouble. Now, was this person a saved Christian? No, but they appeared to be. If you and I saw this happen, we would think they were. They looked like somebody who truly believed because their emotions demonstrated interest, but they were like the equivalent of bandwagon fans of Jesus and not committed followers. Hebrews, especially the warning passages of Hebrews, is written as a warning to such shallow believers, those who have heard the good news and appear to have responded to it, but in reality, they made kind of a quick emotional response to it. They're not true believers. Now, person slash soil number three is in a similar place. These are people who are busy or successful or popular or lovers of the world, whatever. They hear the word of God and they respond to it. You know, it sounds good to them and they say yes to Jesus in the same way they might say yes to anything that sounds good. They're interested, but they're busy. They have other priorities. They decide that they're okay with following Jesus, but honestly, they're already following so many other things and they'll continue to follow new things as well. They make a commitment. They appear to be a Christian based on their words, but a close look at their lives show that they aren't really following Jesus, but they're kind of just going to church, going through the motions, doing some religious things. They may feed the poor. They may pray when they're in trouble. They may thank God when they win an award or whatever. They may read popular Christian books and wear cross necklaces and stuff like that. But, you know, deep down, they're not really followers of Jesus. The thorns of this world, which is a metaphor that Jesus uses to mean like the concerns of life, the desire to be wealthy and successful, and really many other sorts of desires, ultimately choke them out. Now, they care about Jesus and the church and stuff like that, but not really any more than they care about other things. This person is also not a genuine follower of Jesus, but probably believes themselves to be. And if you ask them, they say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. But verses like, I don't know, Luke 9.23, when Jesus said to his followers, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Verses like that would strike these sorts of people who are, you know, soil number three, would strike them as kind of fanatic and not really the word of their Jesus. Again, the warning passages of Hebrews are written to people like this. They've heard the word. They sort of believe, you know, they're like, Jesus is fine. They like church. It's fine. It's good. They want to go to heaven. I mean, who doesn't? But their lives are being choked out by every other thing that is important to them. I believe the Hebrew 6 reference to thorns and thistles is a direct reference to this Mark 4 teaching of Jesus, which identifies the thorny soil as unsaved soil. So we're going to keep talking about this and continuing on, but I'd like to close with a great challenge from Charles Spurgeon. God save us, says Spurgeon, from a lifeless profession of faith. 
May we never be like certain trees of which John Bunyan said they were green outside, but inwardly they were so rotten that they were only fit to be tender for the devil's fire-starting kit. Many professors of faith are too beautiful, appearing not to be false, too obviously saintly outside, to not to be loathsome within, for there is an overdoing of the grave's white wash or white paint. You feel convinced that there would not be so much whitewashing and repair work on the outside if there were not so much rottenness inside to be concealed. The smell of roses or of lavender is sweet, but a lot of smell or scent excites some suspicion. What smell are the scents meant to mask? Oh, let us, each one of us who professes Jesus tonight, say to himself, I was baptized on a profession of my faith, but was I baptized into Christ? When the holy name of the triune God was named on me, did I enter into the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit? I've come often to the communion table in church, but have I really communed with Jesus there? My name is on the membership roll of my church, but is my name written in heaven? I've said to others that I am a Christian, but am I in very deed known unto Christ? Or will he say to me on that day of judgment, I never knew you, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, which is from Matthew seven twenty one through 23. These are solemn questions, says Spurgeon. Many people are temporary followers of Jesus and outward followers of Jesus as far as the human eye can follow. They appear to be real followers of Jesus. Now, I believe in the final perseverance of the saints, but I don't know, nor can any man know, how near a man can approach to the likeness of a saint and yet, after all, fall away. Nor is any one of us able to say of himself or his fellow church members, will never fall away. Now, beloved, what was the beginning of our confidence in our faith? Well, the beginning of my confidence was, says Spurgeon, I am a sinner. Christ is a Savior, and I rest on Him to save me. Long before I began with Christ, He had begun with me. But when I began with Him, it was like I was complete, a completely bankrupt man who had nothing of his own and looked to Christ for everything. I know when I first cast my eye to His dear cross and rested in Him, I had no value of my own. It was all demerit. And all debt. I had nothing deserving in me except that I knew I was hell-deserving. I had not even a shade of virtue that I could confide in. It was all over with me. I had come to the end. I could not have found a quarter's worth of goodness in myself if I had been melted down. I seemed to be all rottenness, a dunghill of corruption, nothing better, but something a great deal worse. I could truly join with Paul at that time and say that my own goodness was, as it were, dung. Dung is a strong expression that Paul used, but I don't suppose he felt it to be strong enough because he says, I count my goodness and good deeds as worth the same as dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him. Well, says Spurgeon, that is how we began with Christ. We were nothing at all, and Jesus Christ was all in all. Now, brothers, we are not made partakers of Christ unless we hold this fast to the end. Have you gone beyond that? Are you something creditable in your own reckoning? If so, I'm worried about you. Are you in and of yourself a better person now than you were then? I'm afraid for you, friend. Do you remember the place you were in when you found Jesus? 
You didn't dare lift your eyes to heaven, but cried, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now in Christ you walk in a far more noble place than that, for you are made to sit with Jesus in the heavenly places. But I ask you, apart from Jesus, have you any different place from that of deep self-humiliation? If you believe yourself to be something apart from Christ, then you've not held the beginning of your confidence fast even until now. Begin to suspect yourself. This is the position to take always, namely that you have nothing, I have nothing, but in Christ we possess everything. Let your mindset be, I may be the worst of sinners, and yet Christ died for me. Where else was the beginning of your confidence in salvation? May we not say of it that it was only and fully exclusively in the blood and righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that's a good word for us to ponder on. And if you want to read it, you can certainly go to the website, BibleReadingPodcast.com. Look up episode number 125 and you will see the show notes there. Let us go on to Numbers chapter 8. Verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses, speak to Aaron and tell him, when you set up the lamps, the seven lamps are to give light in front of the lampstand. So Aaron did this. He set up the lamps to give light in front of the lampstand, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. This is the way the lampstand was made. It was a hammered work of gold, hammered from its base to its flower petals. The lampstand was made according to the pattern the Lord had shown Moses. The Lord spoke to Moses, take the Levites from among the Israelites and ceremonially cleanse them. Do this to them for their purification. Sprinkle them with purification water. Have them shave their entire bodies and wash their clothes and so purify themselves. They are to take a young bull and its grain offering of fine flour mixed with oil and you are to take a second young bull for a sin offering. Bring the Levites before the tent of meeting and assemble the entire Israelite community. Then present the Levites before the Lord and have the Israelites lay their hands on them. Aaron is to be present, is to present the Levites before the Lord as a presentation offering from the Israelites so that they may perform the Lord's work. Next, the Levites are to lay their hands on the heads of the bulls, sacrifice one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering to the Lord to make atonement for the Levites. You are to have the Levites stand before Aaron and his sons, and you are to present them before the Lord as a presentation offering. In this way, you are to celebrate, separate the Levites from the rest of the Israelites so that the Levites will belong to me. After that, the Levites may come to serve at the tent of meeting once you have ceremonially cleansed them and presented them as a presentation offering, for they have been exclusively assigned to me from the Israelites, I have taken them for myself in place of all who come first from the womb, every Israelite firstborn. For every firstborn among the Israelites is mine, both man and animal. I consecrated them to myself on the day I struck down every firstborn in the land of Egypt. But I have taken the Levites in place of every firstborn among the Israelites. From the Israelites I have given the Levites exclusively to Aaron and to his sons to perform the work for the Israelites at the tent of meeting and to make atonement on their behalf, so that no plague will come against the Israelites when they approach the sanctuary. Moses, Aaron, and the entire Israelite community did this to the Levites. The Israelites did everything to them the Lord commanded Moses regarding the Levites. The Levites purified themselves and washed their clothes. Then Aaron presented them before the Lord as a presentation offering. Aaron also made atonement for them to cleanse them ceremonially. After that, the Levites came to do their work at the tent of meeting in the presence of Aaron and his sons. 
So they did to them as the Lord had commanded Moses concerning the Levites. The Lord spoke to Moses, In regard to the Levites, from twenty-five years old or more, a man enters the service in the work at the tent of meeting. But at fifty years old, he is to retire from his service in the work and no longer serve. He may assist his brothers to fulfill the responsibilities of the tent of meeting, but he must not do the work. This is how you are to deal with the Levites regarding their duties. Psalm 44, verse 1. God, we've heard with our ears, our ancestors have told us the work you accomplished in their days and days long ago in order to plant them. You displaced the nations by your hand in order to settle them. You brought disaster on the peoples, for they did not take the land by their sword. Their arm did not bring them victory, but by your right hand, your arm, and the light of your face, because you were favorable toward them. You are my king, my God, who ordains victories for Jacob. Through you we drive back our foes. Through your name we trample our enemies. For I do not trust in my bow, and my sword does not bring me victory. But you give us victory over our foes. And let those who hate us be disgraced. We boast in God all day long. We will praise your name forever. Selah. But you have rejected and humiliated us. You do not march out with our armies. You make us retreat from the foe. And those who hate us have taken plunder for themselves. You hand us over to be eaten like sheep and scatter us among the nations. You sell your people for nothing. You make no profit from selling them. You make us an object of reproach to our neighbors a source of mockery and ridicule to those around us. You make us a joke among the nations, a laughingstock among the peoples. My disgrace is before me all day long, and shame has covered my face because of the taunts of the scorner and reviler, because of the enemy and avenger. All this has happened to us, but we have not forgotten you or betrayed your covenant. Our hearts have not turned back. Our steps have not strayed from your path. But you had crushed us in a haunt of jackals and have covered us with deepest darkness. If we had forgotten the name of our God and spread out our hands to a foreign God, wouldn't God have found this out since he knows the secrets of the heart? Because of you, we are being to put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. Wake up, Lord. Are you? Why are you sleeping? Get up. Don't reject us forever. Why do you hide and forget our affliction, affliction and oppression? For we have sunk down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up. Help us. Redeem us because of your faithful love. Song of Songs, chapter 6, verse 1. Where is your love gone, most beautiful of women? Which way is he turned? We will seek him with you. My love has gone down to his garden in beds of spice, to beds of spice, to feed in the gardens and gather lilies. I am my love's and my love is mine. He feeds among the lilies. You are as beautiful as Terza, my darling. Lovely as Jerusalem, awe-inspiring as an army with banners. Turn your eyes away from me, for they captivate me. Your hair is like a flock of goats streaming down from Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of ewes coming up from washing, each one having a twin and not one missing. Behind your veil, your brow is like a slice of pomegranate. There are sixty queens and eighty concubines and young women without number, But my dove, my virtuous one, is unique. She is the favorite of her mother, perfect to the one who gave her birth. Women see her and declare her fortunate. Queens and concubines also, and they sing her praise. Who is this who shines like the dawn, as beautiful as the moon, bright as the sun, awe-inspiring as an army with banners? I came down to the walnut grove to see the blossoms of the valley, to see if the vines were budding and the pomegranates blooming. 
I didn't know what was happening to me. I felt like I was in a chariot with a nobleman. Come back, come back, Shulamite. Come back, come back, that we may look at you. How you gaze at the Shulamite as you look at the dance of the two camps. Oh, brothers and sisters, I pray and hope that the word of God was edifying to you today. May it bless you. May it encourage you. May it build you up. Have a great weekend. Godspeed to you.